0: To CP's Deep Dive, I'm Colleen Patrick with audio engineer Chris Bayman. I interview authors whose books I have narrated, books written by experts making a positive difference in our world, tackling the tough challenges. Today I am so pleased to be speaking with Professor Eileen Applebaum, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., and visiting professor in the management department at the University of Leicester, U.K., who, with co-author Professor Rosemary Blott at the Industrial and Labor Relations School at Cornell University, wrote Private Equity at Work, When Wall Street Manages Main Street. This is the book you want to read or listen to if you want to understand how the sausage is made with the business model that is private equity. When I narrated Private Equity at Work, my sound engineer and I both became physically nauseous As I read about the appalling machinations responsible for ruining healthy businesses, destroying the quality of popular products, labor forces, unions, pensions, regulations, laws, and even entire communities, while also draining the physical properties of those businesses. They attempt to avoid paying taxes while using tax-paid services, resources, roads, and, of course, educated populations. Debt plays a huge role in manipulating private equity. Lobbyists write laws that are passed by willing congressional partners who then get fat jobs with the industries they've helped deregulate, and more. And that door swings both ways with industrial professionals hired in overseer population. I'm hearing something go wrong with the connection here. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, we're going to pick it up. I'm going to repeat here from... Lobbyists write laws that are passed by willing congressional partners who then get fat jobs with the industries they've helped deregulate, and more. And that door swings both ways, with industry professionals hired as overseer, in govern, uh, overseers in government positions. In fact, deregulation of the financial markets and investor quest for higher profits have given an enormous boost to private equity financiers. Thank you so much for joining us at Deep Dive, Eileen. First, did I accurately summarize the essence of your book?
1: That was a great summary for most of what goes on in private equity. I would like to point out that when smaller private equity funds by smaller companies that you can't really put that much debt on because they don't have that much in the way of assets. They actually do do what private equity claims to do. In those instances, they do come in and improve business operations, improve business strategy, help the small company learn how to market nationally. And in general, at the end of three to five years, they have a company that is bigger, Better and that they can sell to what are called strategics, a large company that wants to buy this company that that private equity owns uh, as an asset, and that's the win-win-win situation. It does happen, but it's not what goes on when the big guys on Wall Street like KKR, Carlyle, Blackstone, Bain, when they buy companies. They they are big themselves and they buy very large companies already established. There's nothing there to turn around in terms of business strategy and and uh, uh, marketing and so on, and they really make their money on the financial engineering, as you so well described. What exactly is private equity, and how does it differ from publicly held businesses? That's a great question. So you have private equity firms; they sponsor private equity funds. The partners in the private equity firm are the general – they call them the general partner, but it's more than one person. They're the general partner of the private equity fund. They run everything. They recruit investors, and investors – the biggest set of investors are pension funds. About a third of the money that private equity has to spend buying up companies comes from pension funds. Money also comes from uh, endowments like the Yale University Endowment or the Harvard University Endowment. It comes from foundations. It comes from sovereign wealth funds, and it comes from wealthy individuals. So those are the the investors. They're called limited partners, but those are the investors in private equity. They put up typically 98% of the money in a private equity fund. So the private equity firm's partners the general partner has about 2% of the equity uh, in the fund. Now, when these big companies go out and they buy, uh, big private equity firms go out and they buy companies, uh, they load them up with debt. So a publicly traded company will typically have 30% debt and 70% equity. When private equity buys a company, typically they use 70% debt and 30% equity. So one thing is that's why it's called a leveraged buyout. Leveraged just means debt and it means lots and lots of debt. So they leveraged these companies that put a huge debt burden on them. So how do they get into debt? Well, here's the thing. Yes, this is really really interesting. So they use the equity in the private equity fund for the down payment when they buy a company. And then Uh, They borrow the rest of the money, and we can talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but they borrow the rest of the money. And what is interesting is they put that debt on the company they're buying. It's as if you buy your neighbor's house, you make the down payment, but your neighbor has to pay the mortgage. How would you like to do that? I would not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we would not like to do it, but you could get rich that way for sure. So that's exactly what they've done. The the private equity fund puts the down payment, the down payment is 30 percent. 70 percent debt, that 70 percent debt is like a mortgage, and it is on the company that they bought. So they own the company, but the company has to pay the debt, not the private equity fund. So this is an interesting arrangement. How
0: do the partners continue to make money on top of money on top of money well the investors don't a lot of investors in fact lose money in private equity because you do not have to tell your partners your investor partners what you're doing with the money
1: well it's a little it's a little more complicated than that the, the limited partners, the investors, don't generally lose money, but let, let, me, let me just take this one step at a time. So the first question was, how does the private equity firm make money? Because the thing about private equity, it's like a casino. The house never loses. And we can take an example of uh, a company like Toys R Us. So Toys R Us was bought back before the financial crisis with 78% debt, 22% equity. So Toys R Us is a huge multinational chain, lots of of, uh, assets that can be mortgaged. And so they put 78% of the purchase price as debt on the company, on on Toys R Us. Uh, Now, the private equity firm, the minute it Bought Toys R Us, sat down with the CEO, who, by the way, could be fired by the board of directors, which is controlled by the private equity firm. So the firm and the CEO of Toys R Us sit down, and they sign something called a management services agreement, and that is money that the uh, Toys R Us pays to the private equity firm directly to the firm, not to the fund, but directly to the firm, uh, for Uh, uh, oversight, uh, advice, monitoring, whatever. Uh, And so that money is a contractual obligation. It gets paid whether Toys R Us is spiraling into bankruptcy or whatever. And that is money that goes straight to the private equity firm. That's a contract. That's where you were getting the idea that the, the investors in the fund, they really do not know how much money is being taken out of Toys R Us by the private equity company. And they also charge a management fee for managing the money. All of the investors are paying two percent of whatever they've committed. The millions that they've committed is going each year to the private equity firm. You might think that the money from the management fund, uh, that the the, I'm sorry, the management fees, uh, would be used to manage the firms, the companies that you've bought, but that's not the case. They also charge the companies money for. Uh, monitoring them and advising them and uh, providing management services to them. So at the end of the day, because the amount that the private equity firm invests in the fund, it has very little money at risk. And the monitoring fees more than pay, forgetting about any other money they may take out, the monitoring fees at Toys R Us more than repaid the private equity investors for their the private equity firm for its investment. Of course, the pension funds, the other limited partners, they lost money on that particular investment. Uh, but the private equity firm it made money. Now, uh, so so that's one piece of it. Uh, the The private equity fund will own many companies They'll own 10 or 15, maybe even 20 companies. Uh, so if one of them goes bankrupt, it doesn't mean that the uh, pension funds have lost all the money. They've lost the money in that particular firm, uh, company that went bankrupt, but they have not lost the money in uh, all the money they invested in the fund, and they may still see a positive return. So if you want to go on to talk a little bit about uh, how well private equity performs for the pension funds. We could talk about that as well.
0: Now I'd like you to take us through when private equity, the larger firms, we understand that the smaller or smallest private equity firms do tend to be a little more positive in their relationship with the businesses in the community. But large private equity firms have actually gutted
1: communities. We have examples of that. So uh, Mervin's was a major West Coast de- department store chain. Uh, it was well beloved in its community. It, it, it served uh, middle-income people. It was not a high-end uh, chain, but it, it had quality goods. It was a good member of the community. It, in its, uh, its, its headquarters were in Hayward, California, and it allocated $100,000 a year to the management of its headquarters firm to do improvements in the community. And it allocated $10,000 a year to each of the other of its uh, stores to do good works in their community. And they did things like uh, build the outdoor sporting area for a high school. They did summer lunch programs for poor children who who would get lunch in school, but in the summer school is closed they participated in all kinds of community activities. Uh, And so they were an important part of the community. They had 30,000 employees. They were a good employer. Uh, And now private equity comes in and takes them over. And we know a lot about this case, because not only did they go bankrupt, but they were sued by their vendors. And a lot of information came out in those legal proceedings. So they take over. The first thing they do is cut out the 100000 and the 10000 They say, why are we doing this for the community? That money can go straight to our bottom line. And by bottom line, you mean to the firm, right? The private equity firm? Right to the private equity firm's bottom line. And then they did things like cutting back on janitorial staff so that the stores now were dirty, people were not happy coming into them. Uh, they came down really hard on managers. Why do you have so many employees? Why are you paying them so well? Why are you giving out bonuses? We don't want to see any more of that. Uh, on and on like this. And
0: all of that money went into the pocket of private equity. Of
1: the private equity firm. All those savings went right into the pocket of the private equity firm. And, of course, they had loaded them up with debt. And so if anybody asked for a raise, then the managers had to say, well, if we give out raises, we won't be able to pay the interest on the debt, and then we'll be bankrupt, and we'll all be out of work. So every single way that you can think of to put pressure on uh, on workers. And, of course, what happened in that situation is that the community could see that this company is no longer caring about us, It's no longer caring about the quality of goods, it no longer cares about the cleanliness of the stores, and they began losing customers, and they began losing money Uh, and uh, then uh, eventually they declared bankruptcy well when they declared bankruptcy they had a lot of vendors like Levi Strauss which is not exactly a little company of its own but they had a lot of vendors that they did not pay they had workers that they did not pay they had 401ks for their managers and they told the managers oh we're in bankruptcy you can't get to your 401k which turns out of course not to be the case 401k belongs to you and those managers then had to go hire a lawyer to get their 401ks, uh, but, but on and on like this. But the thing is, they stiffed the vendors. So the workers who, of course, lost pay, they did not get their Warnack pay, they, they're supposed to get 60 days of pay when stores closed down. Either they keep you working for 60 days after they announce the closing, or they have to pay you for the 60 days. But that didn't happen. And workers have no standing in a situation like this. They're at the end of the line uh, for all the people who didn't get paid. But the vendors, the vendors have standing and they hired a lawyer and they were able to show many, many things. One, I talked about those management services agreements and they were able to show that the uh, private equity company took dividends, took payments, even as the company was spiraling into bankruptcy, And it turns out that shareholders have a duty of loyalty to a company. You can't just drive it into bankruptcy. Uh, And so they were found guilty of doing that. The vendors got a lot of money back. uh, And so... We know that this kind of thing happens, and the the communities have not recovered. Those Mervin stores were the anchor store in many, many communities, not just in malls, but in small towns. They were the reason people came downtown to shop. And when they were gone, the community suffered in many ways. Of course, no more taxes. That's right. No more, And that's
0: another thing. Don't uh, private equity firms try to avoid paying taxes? Isn't that the whole reason for debt?
1: Yes, the reason they load these companies up with debt is that the interest on the debt can be subtracted from the profits of the companies, which then reduces their the taxes on the uh, the uh, income of these companies. and they use they consider that okay, we use those tax savings to pay down the debt. So you know what the heck? We have increased cash flow, we have uh, all kinds of rewards for ourselves. so that's that's one thing that they do. They may locate the fund in the Cayman Islands or some other uh, low-tax uh, environment in order to avoid other kinds of taxes that they might have to pay. They, they really engage in very aggressive uh, tax avoidance. I'm not saying tax evasion. I'm not saying that what they do is illegal. I'm just saying that they are aggressive about it. And we have a whole industry That from an economic point of view is a total waste of money whose job it is to make sure that the private equity, uh, the companies owned by private equity, the people paid by private equity, the partners in a private equity fund, that all of these uh, pay as little taxes as possible.
0: And they are the people who collect this debt. The debt is kind of a false debt, isn't it?
1: No, no, no. They, they're actually lenders out there who often uh, get burned. So initially, they borrow the money from a bank to make this uh, this uh, purchase of a of a, a main street company, but very quickly uh, the bank looks for other partners to take on uh, this debt. Now, you, you, you do make a good point. I mean, typically that's how it happened. They get a, a loan initially from a bank, then the loan is securitized in some way or sold off in some way uh, to other uh, organizations so that it, the debt is out there and there are actual lenders who when the company goes bankrupt will suffer. Now, I think the point that you are getting at is that somewhere along the way, the regulators the people who, the, the organizations rather, that regulate the banks, said, you know, if a company has debt that is more than six times its earnings, it's at very high risk for bankruptcy. So we issue guidelines to the banks that they're not to make loans to a company so such that the debt rises to more than six times earnings. Well, private equity often buys companies with debt more than six times earnings, but they couldn't get that initial loan from the banks. And so now some private equity companies like KKR and Blackstone, and I'm sure there are many others, have set up their own lending uh, operation. And so KKR wants to buy a company at more than and have debt that's more than six times earnings. It can go to Blackstone's lending facility and borrow the money there instead of borrowing it from a bank. So in that sense, yes. Uh, but if they can't pay off the, it, you don't, you can't both own the, the debt on the company and the company. So you know, it's like it's like doing each other's wash. <laughs> yeah. I take in your laundry, you take in my laundry. You know that type of thing. But if a company goes under, then whoever has lent them the money will be out the money that they that they lent them. I mean, we'll go through a bankruptcy proceedings and a bankruptcy judge will decide whether you get 25 cents on a dollar, 50 cents on a dollar, how much you're gonna get back on the money that you loan to them. The private equity firm does not suffer financially. I only know of one case where a private equity firm didn't make money. <laughs> and we know about it because it was so rare. Uh, This was on Hostess. You might remember that Hostess went bankrupt in the hands of private equity, Uh, and that was such a poorly managed purchase of a firm and operation of a firm and so on that everybody lost, including the private equity partners. But I don't know another example that, generally speaking, between the monitoring fees, the management fees... The dividend recapitalizations where they make you buy junk bonds to pay them dividends. If there's real estate that they can sell, they sell it and keep the money. Uh, all of those things taken together, the private equity firm and its partners do not lose money on these deals.
0: Union suffers, uh, pension suffers, community suffers.
1: The community suffers. I mean, this is uh, we wrote about this in the book. We called it bankruptcy for profit we actually have examples this would be sun capital where they buy a company and they did it more than once but the the one that people on the east coast would recognize uh, are the fam the uh, friendly's restaurants they buy a friendly's restaurants they sell off all the real estate and
0: pocket the money when they when they sell this stuff off they just pocket the money right
1: yes that's exactly right And initially, the workers there were very happy. They felt that the menu needed to be updated, the facilities needed to get a facelift, but none of that. That's what the workers thought when private equity came in. They said, oh, great, somebody with money. But none of that happened. And uh, in the end, the Friendly's restaurants go bankrupt under the debt load and everything else that we've talked about. So they now go bankrupt. And private Sun Capital is big enough that it has more than one private equity fund. So... Friendlies is owned by one private equity fund, goes bankrupt, and is bought out of bankruptcy by the second private equity fund. And in the meantime, the workers all lose their pensions. Well, the pensions, they don't lose it completely, but a, a, a Friendlies restaurant no longer has to be responsible for the pensions, no longer has to be responsible for the debt. And so a second, I mean, Sun, Sun Capital still owns Friendlies, but it owns Friendlies with less debt and with no liability for pensions. So this I call bankruptcy for profit, right? You take one company, you take it through bankruptcy. On the other end of it, you still own it. This should not be legal.
0: It, see, it feels like a lot of what should be illegal is legal. How does that happen?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. We need uh, What we are seeing is that we are weakening regulation on financial companies. We're weakening the regulations on private equity at a time when really, what workers need, pensions need, and communities need is tighter regulation, not looser regulation. In the stockbroker industry, there's a practice of
0: churning accounts, where the broker keeps reinvesting the client's money so they can make a commission on every investment made. There's a practice among private equity firms of taking over businesses, as you were just talking about, correct?
1: Yes, they take over whole businesses.
0: How are taxes avoided? It's
1: through the use of debt, through uh setting up uh, the funds in low-tax environments uh, through... and Now, what do you mean by a low-tax environment? The Cayman Islands, incorporating in the Cayman Islands. This may become less necessary now that we've so lowered corporate taxes in the U.S. They set up something called blocker corporations. These are also legal. So uh, let's say you are a foreign investor, and you come in and you invest in, the, in, a, in a thing like this in the U.S., uh, if you are getting uh, certain kinds of payments, interest payments, for example, on highly indebted companies, as a foreign investor, you would be obligated to pay some tax in the U.S. So what they do is they set up a blocker corporation, let's say in the Cayman Islands. All of the all of the money that's made by the private equity fund goes to this blocker corporation, which takes the money and then sends it back to you. And they, they take all of this money that's been made through this investment with all this debt and all this interest, and they send it back to you as a dividend from the blocker corporation. That uh, that there, there are these things are really technical, but there are lots of ways that uh, tax accountants and tax lawyers have figured out to uh, avoid paying taxes legally. Well, President Trump and the Republican
0: administration apparently wants to deregulate everything, yes. including consumer protections, including. All regulations pertaining to finances,
1: yes, and reduce taxes on them in every way that they can. So the corporate tax goes from thirty five percent down to twenty one percent. And while it's true, there are many companies like that that are able companies like Apple, which uh, for all the fact that uh, that the sales are here in the u s uh, manages to have all its profits show up, uh, basically, they're stateless. They have uh, operations in Ireland, operations in the Netherlands, and operations in Bahamas. And by the time the money has moved around through those three places, they view the money as stateless. They pay hardly any taxes anywhere on it, but they certainly don't pay taxes on it uh, in the U.S. And so they figured out uh, how to do that. But if you take a company like Starbucks, whose stores are here in the U.S., there's no intellectual property, there's no way to uh, have these profits show up offshore. Starbucks was paying 33%, its, its, rate of pro, its tax rate on its profits was 33%, now going down to 21%. I think Starbucks is a, is a good company. I think it's good to its workers. I'm not complaining about Starbucks. I'm just giving it as an example of uh, how much corporations are going to save, and that will be true of the companies owned by private equity as well. The private equity firms themselves are partnerships and we have tremendous tax breaks to partnerships in real estate and in, financial, in finance and so on. And so all of the uh, hedge funds, all of the private equity firms, all of the big real estate companies like Kushner's empire or Trump's empire, they're going to get tremendous tax breaks under the new tax law. How can we defend
0: ourselves against these things? Like somebody said, who on earth would want to invest in a private equity
1: firm if they're this crazy and this... Well, I don't know how we protect ourselves. I mean, we need a government that understands that deregulating Wall Street is what led to the financial crisis in 2008. And the pressures will build... If we don't do something about it, the pressures will build up. And at some point in the future... We'll have a rerun of that. I mean, the the reason that we adopted so many regulations coming out of the financial crisis is we were able to see the direct link between deregulating Wall Street and the activities they engaged in, and then what happened to the economy. So uh, that's the ultimate that's the ultimate solution. But the thing to that I would like to bring attention to now is about the performance the pension funds believe that they will get much better performance by investing in private equity. And uh, if you look at the period before the financial crisis, uh, this was largely true. Uh, Of course, not every pension fund invested in a private equity firm that made them a lot of money. But at the median, meaning half do better, half do worse, at the median, which is a typical fund, what you might be able to expect from your investments, uh, they really did beat the market by enough to make it worthwhile to invest in them, despite the fact that they are way riskier. I mean, when you invest in a private, if you're a pension fund and you invest in a private equity, you're tying your money up for 10 years, no matter what happens. Uh, and that's a big risk right there.
0: Say that again. If
1: you invest in
0: private equity, you're tying your money up for at least 10 years.
1: That's right. You make a commitment of 10 years, and it's legally binding. And if you don't have the money to pay, they will come after you. So it is pension funds cannot get out of that particular commitment. Uh, So uh, that's one risk to the pension funds. The fact that some of these companies are loaded with debt and could go bankrupt—that's another risk from re- investing in private equity. And you can't get out. You can't say, "Oh my God, I see that Toys R Us is not doing well." I'd like to—if you—if you—if they were publicly traded, you would just sell the stock, take a small loss, and go on with your life. But if they're if they're owned by a private equity fund, and you're in that fund, you're an investor in that fund. You're stuck with them. So uh, there are a lot of risks involved, and. If you go back before the financial crisis, before around 2006, you will see that private equity did, the typical private equity fund did outpace the stock market and was, uh, you know, something you might want to have some of your money in a pension fund invested in. But since 2006, the typical private equity fund has not beat the market. Not only did it not give you a risk premium for being invested in something risky, it just has not beat the market. You could be invested in a combination of Vanguard index funds and do as well as, uh, as you've done investing in uh, private equity. So this myth, it's, it's a myth now carried over from an earlier period uh, when private equity did do well. Uh, that the typical private equity fund is not doing well. And the returns across the board are not, even where you, so you look at the top performers, they certainly are doing well, but not as well as they did before the, uh, before the crisis. And, and you can't, invent, the, the, the thing about the top performers is also, if you look back to the early 2000s, uh, a, a, a private equity firm that had a fund that did well the next fund would also do well. So you could say, "Oh, I want to invest with that firm because I see that their funds do well. But since the financial crisis, that is no longer the case. Uh, a poor a, a, a private equity firm with a poor performing fund has the same chance of having a top performer in its next fund as one that had a a really good performance with its earlier fund. So it's just a crapshoot now,
0: and I have to repeat that, whether or not they do whether or not they do poorly, the owners still rake in millions of dollars.
1: A private equity firm with a fund that does poorly has about a twenty five percent probability that its next fund will do well. And a private equity fund with a top performer has the same twenty five percent probability chance that its next fund will do well. So you could just take uh, blindfold yourself and shoot a dart. to figure out which private equity firm. You have a 25 percent probability of being in the top performer. And if you're not in a top performer, uh, you're not going to beat the market.
0: The, The owners of the private equity
1: still rake in the cash. That's correct. The investors, not so much. The pension funds, not so much. But the owners, they rake in the cash, yes.
0: Well, it seems that you and co-author Rosemary L. Blood were actually surprised at some of your findings because you didn't believe that they were as devastating as they were. That's not what you were looking at. You were just looking for the facts, right?
1: That is absolutely true. And, and we went to great lengths to be able to include good examples. We really were looking for the good examples. And we have them, but as I said before, they are basically smaller private equity funds, Uh, they put on a low percentage of debt because the the small companies that they buy, nobody's going to lend a whole lot of money for these small companies.
0: But I'm saying that's a very small percentage of private equity
1: firms that are small, correct? It, It all depends on how you look at it. There's a lot of investments that go on at the bottom of the market, but those are all small investments in small firms. The bulk of the money in private equity. So the the question is whether you're looking at the number of investments or you're looking at where the bulk of the money goes. And the bulk of the money in private equity is in the hands of KKR, Carlyle, Bain, uh, Sun Capital. Bain is Mitt Romney. That was Mitt Romney, yes. Uh, and they're in the hands of these companies. That's where you got all the financial engineering and all the money going to them. They're very good at that.
0: It's a shame because uh, financial engineering is not the same as conducting good business practices. That's correct. I have the highest regard for good business people and good business practice. I'm uh, Mm self-employed, and and I work with people who have, you know, very legitimate businesses who contribute to the community, who are outstanding moral people, but uh, they have to deal with Issues like those put up with private
1: equity. And in fact, they have unfair competition. Okay, you're a self-employed, but let's suppose that you are a company uh, competing with a company that's owned by private equity. Really, they 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 have a whole different business model than you have. They can and, and what happens then is that there's pressure on you to do the same. So if they get concessions from their workers then your board of directors wants to know, or your shareholders, you're publicly traded, wants to know, why don't you get the same concessions? Why aren't our profits as high as their profits? So it really has a spillover effect to the rest of the economy.
0: And it seems like the people who suffer the most are the workers, the labor force, community, schools, education, roads, everything that is supported by a good tax base. Yes. And certainly the community involvement businesses used to have, and quite proudly.
1: I was going to say all of the above.
0: Well, congratulations on such an important
1: work. Do you have other books coming out? No, now I'm working on low-wage workers in healthcare. <laughs> so maybe there will be a book at the end of this, but that's that's what the current project is. So because healthcare, you know, is the industry that employs it's the private sector industry that has the largest share of employment. And of course it's very important to all of us and its costs are constantly rising. So trying to understand better what the restructuring in that industry is doing. Uh, is is a challenge? Say that again. The healthcare industry is the largest. It's the largest employer. Yes, it employs something like 17 percent of the U.S. workforce. Private equity tried to make so HCA was private equity owned. That was Bain, and they have made a lot of money. Uh, and so that enticed other private equity firms to start buying up hospitals, but the others have not done so well. The idea that you're going to get rich buying up hospitals that didn't work out so well for private equity. And so now what they, they're trying to sell the hospitals, they're not doing so well there either. But um, now what they are investing in is every other part of the the uh, healthcare industry. They're invested in. Uh, outpatient care centers, they're invested in surgery centers, they're invested in what are called hospitalist companies. You might not know this, but many of the doctors who are employed in hospitals are not on the payroll of the hospital. They're on the payroll of a company owned by private equity. Uh, So private equity has its fingers in the healthcare industry, but that's not really the current project is really looking at there's major restructuring. You might have seen it in your own community where hospitals are consolidating into uh, large healthcare systems. So instead of having a bunch of hospitals that you could have had your choice to go to, whatever hospital you go to is owned by some large healthcare system in your community. And uh, this has given the healthcare systems quite a lot of market power. Uh, They, we have evidence now that they've raised the prices that they charge to insurance companies. So now you see insurance companies combining in order to be able to negotiate better with the hospitals. And I believe uh, that they also exercise power in the labor market. If you have, if you're a healthcare worker and there are only a few major companies that are doing employment, uh, you really don't have much choice, and so you have a hard time bargaining over wages. I'm not talking about the doctors. I'm talking about the medical technicians, the uh, health aides and assistants, the medical assistants. Uh, you know, the physical therapy people. Uh, many, many jobs. I mean, they, there's a uh, 5.5 million of them. Uh, workers in these jobs, in hospitals and outpatient care facilities. And they have had a very difficult time uh, negotiating uh, wages. So you have tremendously increasing demand. You have rising educational levels. Everybody got the message, get another year of education and your wages will go up. But in fact, wages have stagnated or are falling. So we've documented some of this in a report. And now we are trying to uh, uh, understand better what is behind all of this And uh, who knows, there might be a book at the end of it.
0: If there's one thing we could possibly do to stop this juggernaut, the average citizen, what would it be?
1: The average citizen can't do anything. We need to enforce our antitrust laws. Bring back Teddy Roosevelt. Break up the monopolies.
0: Thank you so much
1: for joining CP's
0: Deep Dive, Eileen Applebaum, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., in visiting professor in the management department at the University of Leicester in the U.K., who, along with co-author Professor Rosemary Blott at the Industrial and Labor Relations School, Cornell University, wrote Private Equity at Work, When Wall Street Manages Main Street. This book is considered the gold standard for this subject because it's based on academic research. Join us for our next CP's Deep Dive, When I'll be speaking with another author whose important nonfiction book I have narrated, authors whose works are making a difference in the world. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colleen Patrick with audio engineer Chris Bayman, who also composed and performs our theme. We record at Bayman Studio. Chris is at BaymanStudio.com. I'm at ColleenPatrick.com. Let's make a difference.